There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. From the glow of St. Paul's number one, welcome to another edition of Cabin Country. Give us the time and we'll take you out of the traffic and away from the levee. Let's find the place where the loons call out among the moonlit waves, where the wind sighs among the Norway pines. Pull up a dock chair, have a sip of your coffee, and get a line in the water. This is Cabin Country. Now here's Bjorn Lloydstead, and I'm Fudd Klugman with another Woodland Escape. Yes, welcome back to Cabin Country once again. I'm Fudd Klugman. And I'm Bjorn Lloydstead. And uh, as promised, we have part two tonight. Part two of Stan Tequila. Stan Tequila. We were there for like three hours, but we got two hours of, of good recording with him. And he even invited us for, for more. Yep. So, uh, yep. But, we were invited back for a fall trip, perhaps talk about autumn at the Outdoor Nature Center and and or the wild world of mushrooming. Mushrooms, yes. Without a doubt. And if, if, if anyone tries to deny it... We've got many witnesses that Stan did, in fact, invite us back. Stan, you said so yourself. So We heard. We look forward to the fall, but in the meantime... Let's uh, get ready to listen to part two of Stan Tequila. Stan Tequila. Here we go. Young kids I work with, and they're sometimes saying, I don't believe that Minnesota's warming. You know, it's plenty cold (laughs) in January. I don't believe it. You know, February's good. Look at all this snow and ice... But it is. Yeah, it li- just is. They're just repeating what their parents are saying. What, as the expert on all these different types of birds that stay here over mm-hmm. winter here, mm-hmm. migrate through here, how is that warming affecting Minnesota's bird populations? Or which which yeah. particular species are really taking it on the on the beak, as it were? Yeah. That, you know. So first of all, I'm not an expert in climate change or sure. anything, wow. which is the correct term, climate right. change. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and if you look out your window at mm-hmm. the weather and say there's no way this is happening yeah you again don't understand the difference between weather right. and climate those are two different things mm-hmm. and you don't know what you're talking about if you are saying well look it's hot today so or right. it's cold today right. look how cold it was this winter day you you clearly don't know what you're talking about if yeah. if, if you're making those points um and so there are very very good studies on birds uh, showing the migration of birds when it happens. There are people all over the world, 
uh, who do phrenology. Do you know what, you know mm-hmm. what phrenology is? Mm-hmm. Okay, a lot of people mix it up with phrenology. Phrenology is the study of the bumps on your head. Right, I was going to yeah. say. Put <laughs> I got, all those, those I things got one in my head. One. I... <laughs> yeah. and, uh, but phrenology is the study of the changing in the seasons and all those things that go along with it. Sure. And it's very clear that birds are migrating um, in just the last 25 years, one week earlier, mm-hmm. and are staying one week longer than they did just 25 years ago. Mm. So very clear, obvious evidence that this is changing. That And the good news is, the good takeaway from this is that they're adapting. Right. That's always been the fear. The fear is that things are changing so fast that they can't adapt. They can't adapt. Right. Birds, I believe, are very good at adapting. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of other animals who are not. Now, there are... There are species of birds who are not good at adapting. For example, uh, snail kites. Mm-hmm. Snail kites are a bird. It's like a raptor mm-hmm. like, um, down in Florida. And they feed on, guess what? Snails. Snails. <laughs> yeah. Escargot. Yeah. And so these are like food specialists. They don't adapt well at all. Right. And there's a lot of birds who have habitat specialists. They have to have a specific habitat. They don't adapt well at all. But mm-hmm. a lot of other birds adapt very well. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about animals that adapted very well. You mentioned red foxes. Red foxes do great around people. They've right. adapted to people very, very well. Chickadees, nuthatches, they've all adapted to being around people in suburban yards, and they're going to mm-hmm. do fine. So there's going to be winners, and there's going to be losers all the time. And so we just have to figure out, are we okay with those losers? Right. And uh, is, is there something we can do about it? Because I believe if you're the cause of something, you should be maybe the solution of something too. Sure. So, um, so yeah, there is clear, clear evidence that things are changing now. You guys ever been up to the Arctic? No. Uh, mid, no. Mid, mid, mid uh, Ontario. So yeah. high, high so I've been there, uh, okay. been up with polar bears and sure. things like that. And it is clear and obvious when you are there and you look and you go, holy mackerel. Used to be... Ice up on places like Hudson Bay right. was uh, last two weeks of October. Mm-hmm. Now it's the first two weeks of November. Sure. Huge difference. That just cut off two to three weeks off of the polar bear hunting time because mm-hmm. they have to hunt on the ice. Mm-hmm. And so you've just chopped off in the beginning of their season two to three weeks. And then when the ice breaks up, which it is much earlier, right. you're chopping off the end of the season there too. Right. So are things changing? Heck yeah. So mm-hmm. where I was at in the Arctic many times is that uh, normally we'd see Arctic foxes. They'd be mm-hmm. all over the place. Arctic mm-hmm. fox here, Arctic fox there, all over the place. Nope, no Arctic foxes, all red foxes. They've pushed up. They've moved up. And mm-hmm. they've pushed out the Arctic foxes. Arctic foxes have moved further north, even. Right. And so it, there's clear and obvious signs everywhere. So if you're one of those people who are saying it's, you know, they don't believe it because you didn't see it, right. <laughs> get your head out of the sand. Go you, see it. I was going to say you were, you were kind. I'm yeah. Thank you for using sand. Yeah, was, yeah, <laughs> there's sorry. a lot, a lot of opportunities a, there you could use. <laughs> yes, I was doing an ostrich <laughs> reference. <laughs> yes. And so seriously, you need to educate yourself. Yeah. About it. Just yeah. because you don't think it is doesn't right. mean it's right. And you can't see the big picture. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because you're staring at your backyard. Exactly. Yeah. And you're staring in your own backyard. You don't you don't have a clue. No. Yeah. No. So, once again, no. here we go. Sorry. Well, God, it's, a downer. I'm such a downer today. It's the state of how things are, I think, you know. In the state of downerness. No, it's good. I think what it has to happen is People have to get interested and and impassioned about nature. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to get more excited and realize that there's so much more than Mm -hmm. what we think we know. It's one of those things that the more you know, the more you realize we don't have a clue. Exactly. And we're learning so much. Uh, There's a great book out there by Lucy Cook, and she looks at 
kind of the things we used to believe about nature. Mm-hmm. So this is like 1800s uh, through the early 1900s. The things that we scientists believed, what people believed, were true back then. And we read it now and are aghast. Yeah. We're like, are you kidding me? We actually right. believe How that? How did you actually come yeah. arrive at that? Exactly. How would you come up with that? Because before we understood what migration was, people used to believe that birds would, because they suddenly disappeared, like one day they were there and the next day they were gone, we believe that they transformed into a different animal. Interesting. Can you imagine that? You're a blue jay one day, and the next day you're like some critter at the bottom of a pond. River art. Yeah, it's like, what the heck? And so um, when you realize how much we, you know, when you look at things and start investigating things and open your mind to things, all of a sudden you realize there's so much more that we don't know. Right. And the more you know, the more you realize we don't know anything. And this, the, the, the natural systems out there are so complex and so much going on there that we can't even begin to understand. Sure, we got a good grasp of a few things, and we got, mm-hmm. we've come a long, long way. I mean, look at the amazing things that we're doing with DNA and you know, all the stuff we're just on that molecular level is pretty right. amazing. But there's a lot of big, gross, large things we still don't understand and still don't get. How does a, so here's a good example of it. Look, we're in Minnesota, right? Mm-hmm. What's our state bird? The loon. The mighty loon. Or yes. A mighty loon, right? And so do you guys realize that, so loons that are hatched in the spring, the babies, they're hatched in the spring, all summer long the parents take care of them, they dote on them, they feed them all the time, and by the end of summer, guess who leaves first? The male. He yeah. says, you know what, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm exhausted. Right. I miss my great. buddies at the bar. Sure. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and he takes off. A couple weeks later, the female goes, see you, kid. Yeah. Meanwhile, Junior can't even fly yet. Junior's got to learn how to fly. He's got to teach himself how to fly. Okay, so what does he do? He goes down to one end of the lake where the wind is blowing, yeah. and he f- turns and he faces into the wind, and he just starts flapping and running on the surface and flapping and flapping and flapping until he gets to the other side and he's exhausted and he comes to a rest and he turns around and he has to swim all the way back to the other side of that lake and do it over again and do it over again and do it over again until he builds up the muscles and becomes mature enough and strong enough to fly. Right. Okay. All right. Good. Mom and dad are long gone. Weeks are gone by and winter's closing winter's in. fast approaching. And this baby's going, okay, and he's feeding himself, you know? I mean, you're, what, four months old yeah. and you're feeding yourself now and now, okay, I can fly. This is great. You have to migrate now. Right. Where do you go? <laughs> you know? You have to make it down to the Gulf of Mexico. You yeah. know? It's like, all right. So I always like to tell people like that. I said, you know, who in here could find their way down to the Gulf of Mexico? No street signs, and you, you've never been there before, and you've got to now find your way there. How do they know their way? How do they know where to go? Yeah. I mean, how, why didn't they turn and go north? You know, uh, And how do they know when they got there, they've gotten to the right place? Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. these are questions that we just don't understand. We have no answers for it whatsoever. And this is a right-in-our-face example of holy mackerel, gee whiz stuff. Right. You know, because that is like, how does that it's happen? Amazing. Yeah, how does that happen? And yet we sit there and try to be, oh, animals are dumb. (laughs) You know? It's like, sure, fine. I mean, now, and and there's a lot of studies that show that birds are navigating by all sorts of different means. For example, really good studies showing that birds use the stars to navigate. And that's all fine and dandy. I mean, I can find Polaris. I can find the North Star. I can get a good idea of which direction is which. But 
at different times of the year, the stars look all completely different. Right. So you got to be able to literally be able to figure that out too, which is really hard, you know. And there's just so much involved with that. Right. Um, and you know, what level do you fly at? How high? You know, when do you fly? How do you find food when you're? You know, I mean, you don't stop at a fast food restaurant on your way down. You know, you got to find food <laughs> along the way. So if you're a loon, you got to find a big body of water that's got clear enough water to be able to. Right. So right. believe it or not, a lot of our loons, when they migrate, they don't go south. You know which way they go? They go east. East. Yeah, and they hit Lake Michigan. Okay. They go right over Wisconsin, and they go to Lake Michigan, and then they spend like three weeks on Lake Michigan, swimming south. Wow. Down to Gary, Indiana. Sure. You know? Where you're staying one step ahead of the weather. Yeah, and, yeah. They, and they swim their way down, and they're fishing, and then when they hit down to the bottom of Lake Michigan, down in Gary, Indiana, then what do they do? I mean, they take one look around, and they go, Gary, Indiana, I'm out of here. It's and a, they ta- you yeah. know? There's no more jobs at the car factories. Oh, my gosh. Let's it's go. awful. <laughs> yeah, it's a terrible place. And, and then they start flying, and they, they fly south, and they, they head down to places like... Uh, Tennessee and Kentucky, where we've got these yeah. large reservoirs. Right. Uh, so this is all, by the way, known uh, because uh, there's a couple of organizations, including the Minnesota DNR, who put trackers on loons. It is fascinating to see this. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all the things we thought we knew about loons and their migration is just blown up. Just right. get rid of it. It's gone. And we now have, are like, wow, who knew that they went east? And then they got on the lake, and then they swam for a week and a half, and then they you know, took off right. uh, flying down from there. And then they go down to uh, the Gulf Coast, okay? So they're on the Gulf Coast, say, for example. You know, loons don't come back until they're three years old. So hmm. for the first two years of their lives, they're out in the ocean dealing wow. with what? Sharks. Wow. Dealing with drift nets, oil slicks. You're dealing yeah. with all these issues. And then when you're an adult at three years of age, what do you do? You fly home to your natal lake where you were born. Here in Minnesota, right, and and you show up, and it's like I'm here, I'm ready to breed, and your mom and dad are sitting there looking at you, going, "Take a hike, kid. Yeah, this, this is ours. ours. <laughs> you know, find your own lake. Find your own me. lake. Exactly. <laughs> so it's not easy. And so for the first year, like you're this awkward teenager, and you're trying to mate, and you're trying to find something. You got to find a territory, and you don't know where the territories are, and you got to fly around. I mean, wow, well, my gosh, wow. you know. I mean, you thought you had a hard time in high school, wow. right? I mean, <laughs> so this is this is what I'm saying this once you look at it in a different uh, way it's like holy mackerels and I, I wanted to use loons as a good example because mm-hmm. it's something near and dear to all of our minnesota right. hearts and our cabin right. goers you know Absolutely. we all love the loons at our cabins and these are Yodeling. amazing animals yeah. you know they they truly are big animals these you know most birds are um uh, have have hollow bones okay mm-hmm. and these hollow mm-hmm. bones allow them to be lightweight so that they can fly it makes right. sense right yeah. Yeah. um but uh, loons have semi-pneumatic bones. They're they're not really that hollow, and it allows them to be able to submerge like a submarine, go down slowly, pop up fast, whatever it takes. Sure. Other birds can't do that. A duck goes underwater, has to pop right to the surface. Mm-hmm. Loons, they can come up and actually come up with just their nostrils and their eyes out of the water, and then sink back down again under the water. So they they, they have remarkable abilities that you know we can't even do. So there are just so many cool things about every single animal out there. Mm -hmm. You can pick a bird, pick an animal, pick whatever it may be, and you can find something, what I call the gee whiz stuff about it, and it's like, wow, there's so many cool things about it. Am I inventing this, Stan, too? Is it... Loons almost fly underwater, right? The swimming no, of a loon. Is, you've it's, totally it's, invented it's, that. Have I? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah they, I, they, I thought they... Wings are at their side. I see. So tight, it's more torpedo-like. Tight, they're... and their feet. So, so a duck... When a duck, uh, its feet are where? 
right underneath it side by side, yep. right? Just yep. to, for those of you on listening, everybody is. <laughs> I'm paddling. I'm paddling with my feet <laughs> side by side, right? And, and so every stroke forward interferes with the stroke back of the other feet. Right. Loons, their feet are on the sides at the back. Okay. So when they are uh, swimming, they're swimming like this off to the side. Got it. And their feet are so far back that they cannot walk on land. So when they do walk on land, they have to either be really upright, bolt upright, sure. and they can make it a couple of feet at a time. Before they up, fall flat. Or then they fall down. Or they push themselves along like a wheelbarrow minus the wheel, mm-hmm. and they push themselves along like that. Um, and this, this is how they get around. In fact, the name loon is a, comes from the Scandinavian word loam, which mm-hmm. means lame, which means that they can't walk can't on land. Walk. Right. And so it's, and there's a fun, there's all sorts of these, you know, kind of creation stories, if sure. you will, about it. And they, yeah. the creation story for the loon is that, so Mother Nature is making the loon. She puts the beak on. She puts the colors on. She does all this stuff. And the loon is leaving. And then she all of a sudden goes, oh, I forgot the legs. And she throws the legs at the loon as it's going out the door. They stick at the back part of the loon, and that's where they are today. So, I mean, there's all sorts of fun things that go along with, with these things. But So they're, they're really, truly amazing birds. So when they swim underwater, and you got to think about what they do. What do, loon, what do loons eat uh, for food? All kinds of yeah, fish. Small fish. Yeah, yeah. small fish. You, think about it. You got to catch a fish underwater. Yeah, in their home, their home turf. <laughs> in yeah. their home turf. And so they paddle with their feet, wings tight at their side, and they are like bullets underwater. Maybe I should try to teach them how to use their wings underwater. <laughs> it would slow them down. Think, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it would really slow them down. I must have confused that with, with penguins. Penguins, yeah. yeah. I yeah. think that's yeah. Yeah, that, Got it. that flightless bird that, who uses go. their little flippers. Also walks funny like a loon. Also walks funny. Probably yeah. walks a little yeah. better than a loon. Yeah. So loons are fabulously adapted. 98% of their life is uh, spent either on or underwater. Right. The only times that they come to land are to uh, copulate. And to uh, incubate. That's it. And, and then when they're migrating, they're flying. And that's it. Wow. So, Speaking of copulation. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, for all of those who... No. <laughs> we've, we've moved from death to copulation. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I, let's get back to this sex and food. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it's all that's about. That's what it's all about. Um, I'm kind of... Fascinated by extra pair copulation. Um, Ooh, yes. That uh, your example in the video I saw was um, wrens. Yeah, and how at first the males. Behavior is a little bit funny, mm-hmm. but then the females' behavior is also kind of interesting. Yeah. So maybe you can use them yeah. as an example of extra pair sure. copulation. Extra pair copulation. So um, most people are familiar with house wrens. House wrens are a small brown bird. If you've got a yard, suburban yard anywhere, and you've put up a decorative little house, birdhouse, or, or you have little wren boxes out or something, you have a house wren, guaranteed. They're everywhere. Um, and they're, they're beautiful birds. They sing from morning till night, and they're fantastic. And what happens is the male shows up first on the territories, and he'll uh, go around and he'll find two or three cavities in which he's going to call home. And then he puts sticks. he put 10, 12, 20 sticks, all kind of uniform size and shape in each box. You know, 20, 20 sticks in this box, 20 sticks in that box, 20 sticks in the next box. And then what does he do is he jumps up on his perch and he starts to sing. He's got to attract in a female. This is how birds attract in females, right? They sing, sing, sing. 
female hears it, she comes over and says, oh, you know, okay, this, is, this guy sounds okay. Mm-hmm. And then he takes her to the prospective houses. He takes her to the first house, and you can just see this happening, you know. She looks, and she's like, oh, I, you know, no. Oh, oh. Yeah. It's just, One you know, the color and yeah, size. <laughs> and, uh, and so he gets all nervous and takes her to the next box, and is like, well, what do you think of this? And she's like, well, you know, better, but, you know. And he's like, what, wait, I got one more. You know, he takes her to the third box, and she's like, oh, this is it. This is the spot. This has got the view I want. He's got, you know, I'm obviously making this up a little bit. but <laughs> And then uh, she'll go in, and then she'll fill that box up to the top. And in the back, she'll make a fine little nest. She'll line it with some nice little fine plant material, and she'll start laying her eggs. And what does a male do? He jumps back up on his perch and starts singing because he's got to get another female to come in because he's come on down I got two more boxes to go you know he's got to fill up these other boxes with females you know and basically right about that point people's human uh, kind of sense of fair play and our our societal things like you know uh, you know married for life type of thing comes into play and what you don't understand is in nature um, this you know mated for life thing really has no no place in the natural world right. it's a human construct it's right. not a natural thing and so if he's successful at bringing in a second female it's the first female's responsibility to kick her out if not he'll attend to both of them and you mm-hmm. i mean and most people at that point are thinking this guy's a scoundrel you know <laughs> and they're thinking this guy's terrible right but what they did was they did a little study with house wren offspring mm-hmm. and they looked at the offspring on average they have three to four young uh, uh, per couple and they looked at the dna so these days dna is so easy you know Mm -hmm. and so they they do a little dna sample from the male dna sample from the female so they know and then they do a little sample from the from the offspring turns out 30 to 40 percent of the offspring of that pair are not genetically related to the male (sighs) hmm he's not the only man about town no She's, she's, or a woman uh, about time. There we go. Yes. Yeah. So it turns out what happens is the female, what she does is she listens for neighboring males and goes out and seeks extra pair copulations, as you had, had mentioned, right. these extra pair copulations. And she's, and this is all in the name of genetic diversity. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, ladies, don't. Don't I don't want to hear that as an excuse, okay? <laughs> You're just out there looking for genetic diversity, okay? And so, uh, and, and so with birds, the female can store sperm and uh, utilize from two different males. And so that's what you see is you see these offspring that are, who are, you know, part from the neighbor and part from, you know, the partner. Right. And, uh, and so then they started saying, well, this is interesting that wrens are doing this. I wonder about other birds. You know, and so they started looking closer. Turns out robins, bluebirds, blue jays, almost all of the birds, the females go out and seek these extra pair copulations. You know, you know and it you know, it turns out it's a regular patent place out there, you know. <laughs> and, and I always like to joke and say, and it's all happening in your yard. <laughs> in your own backyard. Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness, draw the shades. Yeah, exactly. Just, I yeah. can't stand it. And you can't even tell them to go get a room, you know. And so, so so there's so much going and so right there should be enough to tell you that you don't understand understand what's going on right. out there if you think that it's just all roses and you know and sunshine and rainbows right. Right. because it's not it's there's a lot of things going on remember we kind of you know a while ago we talked about that the whole driver here is is reproduction and food right. and the, the the drive to reproduce and have the best genes and have the best you know kind of offspring mm-hmm. is the big deal 
right. you know. And so it's just something to think about, you right. know, that there's a lot going on out there, there in, in the natural world. In, in your natural backyard, yeah. Can we talk about that mated for life thing? Yeah. Yeah, because so, that's a question I get all the time. People always talk about, oh, um, you know, do bald eagles mate for life, the swans mate for life, and all yeah. that. And so I, I hate busting people's bubbles all the time but you know but it's like no. but no yeah. so so again it, the mated for life is really a human construct it's right. not there's really no big place for it in the natural world so for example like bald eagles okay so we use the term biologists will use the, the term long-term pair bonds so they have a pair bond that lasts multiple years mm-hmm. and um but like say for example let's just say bald eagles or swans whatever mm-hmm. um so they get together in the spring the male and the female get together in the spring and they do their thing they they mate they got babies but guess what come fall like our loons you know boom they he takes off she takes off kids are on their own whatever sure. you know i don't know about you but i mean heck i think anybody can make a marriage last if you're only together for like five months of the year <laughs> right <laughs> you know <laughs> So it's like, and so they spend their fall and their winter apart from each other, and yeah. then they get back together in the spring. Uh, and so, really, the fidelity is really not to their partner. Turns out the fidelity is mostly to the nest. Hmm. So, if they're successful at that nest, they come back to that nest. Right. And then, if their partner shows up, then it's like, hey, yeah. But if a new partner shows up, I mean, they're not sitting around going, okay. gosh, <laughs> you know, you know, where's Mildred? Right. You know, they're like, oh, you know, hey, you look fun. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And, and, they, and so if you want to look at a species where there are significant long-term pair bonds, you'd look at the cranes, mm-hmm. in particular the sandhill cranes. The sandhill cranes um, can be uh, – they did one study over a 15-year period of, of uh, time, and uh, they had several hundred crane pairs that they monitored. And of those in that 15-year period of time, about 70-some percent of them stayed together together. Over that 15-year period of time. That mm. meant about 25, 30% of them switched partners, you know. And it really came down to how close the neighboring, ma- the neighboring pair was and how abundant the food sources were. Sure. So in areas where the food was abundant and pairs were spread out, they didn't switch partners as much. But in areas where the partners were together, when the groups were closer together mm-hmm. and the food was more scarce... There was some switching of partners and things like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And with cranes, at the end of the season, they migrate as a family unit. The male and female stay together, kids go with them, and they migrate down south, and they spend their whole winter together. So they're spending the whole year together, Then they migrate back up, again, with the male and female and the kids. And then, you know, when they get back up in the springtime, the parents kick out the kids and go, you know, hit the road, Junior. You know, right. mom and dad are yeah. going to get busy here. Yeah. And, um, and then they have another, you know, and they only have two babies, by the way. They only, they only lay two eggs. Okay. And, um, uh, and so they, and they have about a 50% mortality rate. So one out of the two almost always makes it, depending, you know. And uh, so that's really about the closest we can come to, to finding mated forever. You know, right. Made it for life, right? And I don't know, fifteen years—that's a pretty good long run, but it's not yeah. that long in the animal world. That's, that's it's pretty that's, good. That's a yeah. lifetime. Well, well, I would explain how many sort of uh, naturalist weddings I've been to, where people it's, <laughs> they put sandhill cranes on the wedding there program. You go. Because, oh, there's oh, such there you, you know. Go. Uh, Unless, of course, the food is scarce, in which case, honey, I'm you know you're on your own. Yeah, and <laughs> or the grass is greener on <laughs> right, side. Exactly. Or there, yeah. mm-hmm. exactly. Sidebar story there too. I'm watching a, a hunting program mm-hmm. on one of the various you know six thousand channels on yeah. cable TV. And, uh, 
the American Southeast, Sandhill Cranes are back on the menu. The yeah. numbers have grown, and, and people were, uh, in fact, I think it was local chef, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Bon Vivant, Andrew Zimmern, they, they were hunting mm-hmm. Sandhill Cranes yeah. Yeah. somewhere in, in the Carolinas or Kentucky, and yeah. he said, my gosh, it's, it's like beef. Yeah. It's like a red meat. It's they like goose. The, yeah, they call it the ribeye of the sky. Mouthwatering. So there's like 18 states where they allow um, sandhill crane hunting. They've made a made a real comeback, yeah. apparently. <clears throat> We've got sandhill uh, crane hunting in the far, far northwestern corner of the okay. state. But here's the problem. Um, we have two crane species mm-hmm. here in North America. Uh, the sandhill, which is common and widespread. Yeah. And then the whooping crane, right. which is an endangered species. Sure. And they're both about five feet tall, and they're both... Look like cranes because they are, yeah. and they um, and 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 you know, not knocking hunters, but they they tend to have bad eyesight. Okay, and they yeah. tend to be able to. Con- I mean, look, if you're confusing a snow goose with a swan, you shouldn't be hunting. Right, right, and right. so I mean, if you got if you're hunting sandhill cranes and a whooping crane comes along, there's no chance you're going to see it and you're going to kill it. Yeah, so they won't allow hunting in areas where the whooping cranes are, which is basically eastern Minnesota. Wisconsin, okay. and then going down to Florida. Sure. Because there's about, right now, there's about 500 to 700 whooping cranes total. Mm-hmm. They were down to about 12 to 15 individuals Ooh, at wow. one point wow. back in the 40s. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about your genetic bottleneck. Yeah, wow. no kidding. And, uh, and so what happens, uh, uh, they've been able to, there's a western flock that goes from uh, Wood Buffalo National Park up in northern Canada mm-hmm. down to Aransas, Texas in the wintertime where they spend their winter right on the coast. Sure. And they migrate back and forth. There's about 200 to, 250 to 300 individuals in that flock, and it's okay. growing. It's getting better, That's bigger, yeah. bigger. And then there's this experimental flock that they uh, put in in south-central Wisconsin. You might have heard this. This is where they were using those ultralight aircraft, yeah. and they were flying them right. down to Florida and um, you know, having them winter there. and then um, So teaching them how to migrate, basically. Right. And then they would come back on their own. And, um, <clears throat> and so that flock is about 250 or so uh, uh, okay. also. Right. Uh, they've started a, that, that program, by the way, of flying them down to Florida's Hall stopped. They stopped it four or five years ago. Um, they no longer use the ultralights and uh, all the that cranes stuff. have figured it out. No, uh, no, okay. no, no. The problem is, uh, so they did this. They got a nice, robust group of adults, but yeah. the, ad- uh, they don't know exactly why. There's some speculation as to why, but in the area that they were reintroduced, which is Nesita National mm-hmm. Wildlife Refuge in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. it's got such a bad black fly uh, area that okay. what happens when they come back, these adults come back and they try to nest, they are just being driven off the nest by black flies, and Oof. they are not reproducing. On average, uh, and when they're getting quite a few couples uh, reproducing, they're getting one, mm. maybe, uh, baby to survive in a year. This is not a good enough recruitment number to keep the population going. Right. So they're right. kind of giving up on that, and they're going to a non-migratory flock in Louisiana. So that's what they're populating now. They're raising up uh, whooping cranes to go in this non-migration flock in Louisiana, and uh, and there they sit. Hoping so that will. Hopefully that'll do. Bounce it, it back, but they're but but you will only see them if you're in. Louisiana. Louisiana. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's worse places to be. Yeah. Means, you but. can see these whooping cranes if you go down in Nesita, and uh, sometimes you can see them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're around. Um, but um, so, anyhow, so cranes are an interesting group of, of birds. They mm-hmm. really truly are. Uh, we, only, we only have two species here in North America, but they're pretty special birds. Right. 
After a very short break, we're going to switch to one of Bjorn's favorite nature topics, wild edible plants. And we'll hear a little bit more about how Stan began his career as a naturalist right after this. The Gas Station Podcast Network is proud to announce our newest feature, Cabin Cooking with the Parents, featuring our dear friend, good old Lloyd. In the time it takes you to check your oil and clean your windshield, you can hear recipes and cooking techniques that will all work wonderfully at the lake. Nothing brings out kitchen creativity like cabin trips, and we'll help you relive and recreate these moments via GSPN. Today's Cooking with the Parents recipe, layered salad. What is it? Is it a festive lime jello cold dessert? Is it a mixed vegetable salad topped with tangy mayo? It's both. Begin by mixing a double portion of lime jello and put it in the fridge to set. Before the jello is completely set up, mix in equal portions of shredded carrots, baby peas, and chopped celery, roughly a cup each. Return the lime jello to the fridge. Once the jello is completely set, frost the top of the jello with your favorite mayonnaise or salad dressing. Now add crumbled bacon to the top of the mayo, and then top the mayo with a head of shredded iceberg lettuce. Return the salad to the fridge until ready to serve to maintain the salad's integrity. The salad should show off its many layers. Jello rich with suspended vegetables, snow white mayo freckled with crisp bacon bits, and a topping of shredded lettuce. Think of how eyes will sparkle when you bring this layered salad to the buffet line or family table. Man, oh man, now it's a party. Lime jello, celery, mayo, can it get any better? Now back to Bjorn and Fudd with special guest Stan Tequila in Cabin Country. I love your book, both, all, I'm sure. I'm familiar with the two sitting to your right. And I bring them both Mm-hmm. Every summer up yeah. in the Boundary Waters area yeah. for several years now with my family, and uh, actually take out your wildflowers in Minnesota when I yeah. lead uh, wildlife hikes, more nice. kind of plant sighting. Like, yeah. like, well, let's see what's out here in the yeah. bo- edge of the Boundary Waters. Mm-hmm. Um, also, of course, I think I said to you earlier, a fan of the, the late great Yule Gibbons. Oh yeah, um, a lot of people talking about this plant called the groundnut or the fairy potato. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if it's in your wildflowers in Minnesota or if you know much about it. And people, it's, it's not in there because it doesn't have a real showy flower. Okay. And I was going to say, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a novice, to yeah. be sure, you yeah. know, of 20-some years yeah. trying to find these things. I can't find them. I don't know where they are. What oh, are they're you, all over the place. Are they? Yeah. See, thank you. <laughs> they're called ground nuts. They're also t- sometimes called hog peanut. Yes. And yes. Um, they're in the legume family. Yep. So um, if you know anything about legumes, you know they have three leaflets. Yeah. Uh, that make up one leaf. Okay. Um, by the way, uh, do you know another plant that has three leaflets? I'm thinking clover. Um, poison ivy. Poison ivy. <laughs> <laughs> and so a lot of people okay. sometimes confuse it with poison ivy. Start digging up poison ivy and oh, looking for an edible tuber. You don't do not that. Gonna, yeah, yeah, that'd be bad. But you can dig up these edible tubers, and they are very good eating. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you can find quite a few of them, too. Uh, you find them mainly at this time of year, kind of midsummer. You start, sure. to, you start to see them, and uh, they have a small... Kind of a brown and 
lavender flower. Okay. And um, the typical pea type flower. Right. uh, Which is an imperfect flower. And um, so they're they're around all over the place and they're fun to, fun to dig up. And um, I used to, about, I think my very first book that I wrote over 30 years ago was on wild edible plants. Yeah. Because back then, wild edible plants was big. Yeah. And um, it's coming around again, I hope so. I I want to bring it back. It's coming around again. Yeah. Yeah, People are interested once again, which is neat. Um, That's something I've had a rough time finding the other wing. um, We could probably go out in the woods and find you some. Wild ginger. Minnesota wild ginger. Yeah, yeah. You know, I see a lot of things that I I said, that's got to be it. And then a good friend of mine who works at the camp next door as a... Says naturalist says no 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 that's big leaf aster in its yeah. early phase you're, not, you you're way off buddy way off not even the same family no 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 and maybe seen it twice maybe yeah. three times but. so wild ginger can be extremely common yeah. um, and you find it's a, it's a spring ephemeral okay. meaning that it's short lived sure. and it comes out early in the springtime, and uh, it has those uh, ginger shaped leaves uh-huh. and it has these remarkable flowers quite large maybe about a, a three quarters of an inch in diameter they grow like right on the and ground and they grow right on the ground yeah right and if you get down on your hands and knees which i always suggest you do get down on your hands and knees get your nose right down to that flower and yeah. smell it it smells like carrion wow so dead meat yes so what it's doing is it's got this flower laying right down on the ground and it's giving off this putrid smell yeah and it's attracting beetles okay beetles who think hey Dead stuff. Dead stuff. Yes. I can eat here. They climb in there. They'd climb around and they go, there's nothing here. And meanwhile, yeah, yeah, what a rip off. And (laughs) meanwhile, they move the pollen around, pollinate the thing, and they go on to the next one. They get fooled again. Right. And they cross pollinate. And boom, there you go. Right. So, and they're all over the place. So by yeah. midsummer, uh, about this time of year, you're not going to see their leaves because what happens is uh, after they bloomed, um, then the leaves go, kind of go into hyper uh, solar collecting stage, and mm-hmm. they. Uh, and this all happens before the trees above them get all the leaves Leaf out, and shade yeah. them out. Sure. And they and they build up all this uh, photosynthate, which goes back into the roots, and they save up all this energy for next year. And then they die. Okay. And they got next spring, do it all over again. Putting all that energy yeah. into the yeah. into the so the root of the rhizome. Is it a rhizome? <clears throat> it's a rhizome. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So uh, ginger, wild ginger here in yeah. Minnesota, is not the same ginger that you buy in the no. store. No. no, no. And don't make that mistake. Right. Uh, Yule Gibbons said that ginger was very good. He loved it, and he made ginger syrup out of it, right? So yeah. back in the 70s, I thought, ha, Here I got to go. try this. Yes. This is going to be good. Dug up a bunch of it. What I don't like about that is because you have to literally kill the plant to get, you know, dig right. up this rhizome. Right. Dug up a bunch of it, cleaned it. Prepared it just like he said. I was simmering it on the stove, and the fumes coming off of this thing were so toxic, I nearly passed out. I got so dizzy and so nauseated, you know. It was, and the zombies clogging the windows just to get it. Where's the dead stuff? Yeah, I was like, oh, my God. This is horrible. So I don't recommend it. Well, he had another one, too, with the very same oh, yeah. skunk cabbage. Skunk, yeah. And he was trying, there's a way to make this edible. <laughs> there's got to be. Yeah, oh, yeah. man. He, you got to work uh, that hard. Uh, for there's, those people who don't know who Ewell Gibbons is, they need to check into that. Oh, you know. God. He was uh, kind of in the 50s and 60s. He yeah. was kind of the yeah. guru of outdoors. He was always on Johnny Carson. Oh, and, and being made fun of like ruthlessly. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, he, was a, he was kind of a spokesperson for Grape Nuts cereal, yes. too. And, yes, um, and kind of a Barney, Barnaby Jones uh, yeah. look to him. Yeah, he yeah. had a... He had a he was, Thinking, uh, Gadzooks, yeah. that actor's name, I forget. Uh, yeah. Well, well, Buddy Epson, yeah. yeah. He's like, they could have been brothers. But yeah. uh, one more. We'll see if I'm yeah. three for three. I've been wrong for two here. Let's, <laughs> let's try the third one. 
That and the loon, he's going to kick me right out the door. Um, the May apple. Yeah. Yeah, May I, Again, can't find them anywhere. I saw one yeah. once not that common. in the Superior National Forest. Yeah, not that thought, common in Minnesota. Okay. Yeah, go down to Iowa. Sure. Uh, and they're everywhere. You can't okay. you trip over them. They're all over the place. Go to yeah. Illinois, southern Wisconsin. They're, right. May apples are everywhere. And, of course, they bloom in July. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they're called May apples. Yeah, they they yeah, bloom in May. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they, uh, they're, they're a unique species. They can tend to make a, a, a monoculture. They kind of cover. Take over. Yeah, cover yeah. over a whole area. Okay. They're beautiful. Nice little white flower, and then afterwards a small red berry underneath them. Yeah. They're gorgeous. Uh, May and apples. edible, from yeah. what I understand. Yep. Have, you've eaten a May yep. apple? Yep. What, what would you compare it to? Uh, it's hard to say. More like a rose hip. Okay, yeah. You know, that type of thing. I'm a guy who likes those, but I, oh, yeah. I, my kids are always like, Dad, why are you eating this? It Rose tastes, hips? Yeah. Oh, they're does. fabulous. I, I must have passed them a couple that were really old and mm-hmm. full of kind of cottony. Yeah, you got to take out all those seeds inside. Yeah. Take uh, out the seeds, take out that stuff inside, just eat the skin and you're going to be good. I'm lazy, Stan. Yeah, I eat yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. My dad used to eat oranges with the peel on. Hey, you know, you I mean, like you get apple. those stories from Grandma. Mm-hmm. You know? During the Great Depression, we ate the whole thing. That's right. That was my dad. Same thing. We ate the whole thing. It's all okay. I'm eating this pineapple. The whole thing. This durian fruit. Wow. Speaking of like your dad, I'm kind of wanting to switch back to like the early days of Stan. Oh yeah. Tequila. Like yeah. how? What were your influences? And my dad. Uh, your, your dad. Yeah, huge. Okay. Yeah. Huge. Well, was, tell us about him. So, um, uh, dad was a uh, Im- he was a son's a son of immigrants, Polish immigrants. Yeah. Uh, so second generation for myself and. Um, he uh, big into mushrooms. Oh, and so he taught me uh, wild mushrooms when I was young. Yes, uh, tried to teach me Polish, but I was not smart enough to understand. And I was too American to, yeah. you know, to learn. Come on, Dad, nobody speaks Polish. That's right, here. exactly. Now I would kill to oh, be able to speak Polish. Outstanding. And um, and uh, he uh, grew up on the west side of Chicago, and he was so into nature, and uh, he built. Uh, bird houses and bird uh, feeders that we put uh-huh. up in our backyard, and uh-huh. so we were known as the nature family in our block. I mean, sure. I lived in a gridded block. You know, we had mm-hmm. a few trees, and my dad planted bushes and trees, and he planted everything. And so we were kind of like this little nature spot. You yeah, know? And it was like a fifty by twenty-five yard. You yeah. know, yeah, <laughs> that was fifty by twenty-five feet. By right. the way, <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so and he fed birds, and then um, he. And Sunday mornings, he would do this amazing thing where he would get up early and go out, and we'd take our dog, we had a German Shepherd, and he'd go out to one of the local forest preserves, and he'd come back with some wild mushrooms. And then he'd cook breakfast for everybody on Sunday, and he'd always have some wild mushrooms in with it. And I always thought, that is amazing. How does he do that? You know? Yeah. So that's kind of like my early beginnings of it. And uh, I cannot recall a time in my life when I was not absolutely, utterly fascinated with nature. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't recall a time when I was not just... That was what I wanted. Um, As a young teenager, I wanted to write nature books. Mm -hmm. Okay, now growing up on the west side of Chicago, wanting to write nature books, you can imagine how weird I was. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so I, uh, by 14 and 15, I had a three-ring binder. I was convinced I could do a nature book. I would take pictures, make the prints, glue the prints in, and then hand-write the text in. I still have these things too, oh, by the I way. I hope so. And so, yeah. and uh, and I would write because I was convinced I would be able to write a book about the nature in your own backyard because there's so much there you didn't even know was there. Right. And so I started doing that, and then <clears throat> fortunately, in uh, uh, kind of the mid '70s, I moved to Minnesota. Yeah. And showed up here and went. 
I'm home. Yeah. yeah. Here's here's the nature I was looking. <laughs> yeah, for. I was because yeah. I you know growing up in Chicago, I thought everything was like Chicago. You right. Know, what a mistake that was. All right. <laughs> and uh, and I was like, I'm home here, and uh, I started. Um, uh, teaching wild edible plant classes. Oh, That's how I got my start. You bet. Uh, the famed uh, naturalist Kathy Heidel, who uh-huh. was uh, the uh, Hennepin Parks at that time, uh, Three Rivers now. Okay. Uh, it was their very first naturalist that they hired, and she was yeah. legendary. Um, and she took me under her wing and, took, and kind of mentored me as a naturalist. I went to school. I went to University of Minnesota mm-hmm. and got my degree. And... Um, in natural history, and I was teaching wild edible plant classes, and a friend of mine said, wow, you teach an amazing class on wild edible plants. We should write a book about plants. Or, you know, and mm-hmm. she had no idea that uh, I you know, had this secret desire. Three-ring binder. To, yeah, to <laughs> do this thing. And I'm like, let's do it. And, yeah. Uh, so, uh, this is pre-computer, by the way. Right. So, I wrote my first three books on a typewriter. Oof. And, uh, yeah. And uh, there was, uh, we were trying to get it published. And, of course, we were querying all these publishers. And these publishers were all like, yeah, no, there's one Yule Gibbons is enough. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and um, somebody said they were installing some computer equipment at a new company that was starting out called Adventure Publications. And we should give them a call. And I said, you know, you don't call publishers. You got to write them a query letter. You have to send this, you know, very formal thing. They said, no, no, we know these people. Call them up. So I called them and said, hi, you know, my name's Stan and, you know, whatever. And they said, let's meet. So we met. We had already written this book on wild edible plants, completely finished, paper, of course, we had it bound like that. And we talked to them, and they said they were just starting out, brand new company, and they said, we'd love to take you on as an author. And I thought, suckers! (laughs) (laughs) And they said, "Uh, let's do it. And they said, when could you have it done? Mm -hmm. Literally reached under a table and plopped it out and laid it in front of them and said, there you go, thud. (laughs) And they went, wow, send, send us a contract. Uh, I was. I did the first three books with a friend of mine, um, uh, Karen Schrag, and she's mm-hmm. just a wonderful naturalist and a great, wonderful friend. And so we kind of went our ways at that point, and I, nobody said stop. And I kept writing, and here we are 30-plus years later, right. and I have over 200 books. Wow. And um, I just keep going with it because... Yeah. I mean, it's it's what I've always wanted to do my entire life. Oh, I heard it heard it said so well on the radio the other night. You work and then you work. And oh, yeah. you take time off from work <laughs> to you work. Get a little work in. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's yeah. right. On vacation, I Oof, work. I've actually got some time to work now. Yeah. Thank goodness. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's all I do. Honestly, I I mean, I live, eat, breathe, drink nature all right. the time. Everything I do, I don't have any other hobbies or pastimes right. or right. anything it's just all nature all the time well, what's that it's pretty boring classic old line you know you got to do what you love and love what yeah. you do and yeah. you you are the perfect uh yeah. and perfect if you, exemplar of that if you, you do know? what you love you never work a day in your life right so right and i do i, I truly love it oh, that's and outstanding. i have to change and i have to evolve as we talked kind yep. of earlier yep. about um you know, now I'm doing different things that I never would have dreamt I would have done before, like leading mm-hmm. photo tours. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in the past, 
you know, you, you didn't want people to get the photos that you got because you needed to keep you those. Sell those. Yeah, you sold those. <laughs> You're making and a you book. Don't tell anybody about right. it, how you did it, or where you got it. You kept right. it a deep, dark secret. Yep. And now I'm taking people right to and saying, this is how you do it. Yeah. You know, Whip because, out your phones. You yeah. got a great, great camera on it right <laughs> there here. You go. Well, I'm amazed at the it's pictures cr- you it's get crazy. on your phone. <laughs> it's absolutely yeah. crazy. Exactly. Some of, the, yeah. some of the shots we've gotten yeah. on. So I do. So to me, it's like you evolve, you change, you know, yeah. and I. Yeah. I you know, I mean, look, I, there are so many different things. We didn't mention it, but I run a nature center. And so, I mean, everything, I come to work, it's in nature. I go home, I write about nature. I, you know, go to my cabin and I'm, I'm writing about nature. I'm in nature. Right. You know, it's just, that's right. what I do. Everything about it. And, you know, my vacations are into nature and, you know, so. Yeah, well, let's do, let's, let's do the Stan Tequila pitch here. I mean, starting with the nature center here in Eden Prairie. Yeah. Um, and all your because I'm sure people are going like, well, this has been fun listening to the cabin country, but let's shift over to more Stan. Yeah. I mean, this guy is cool. Yeah. Tell us more about how you can find your your books and your the radio stations you're on and your the Nature Center right here. here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, decide. for me personally, you start out with NatureSmart.com, and that's my web page, and it's mm-hmm. got all my stuff. It's got my books, and it's got a, a listing of the radio shows and newspapers that I'm in, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So the NatureSmart.com is kind of like the Ground zero. Then, as we mentioned before, I do so many different things, and one of them is, is I run the Nature Center for the City of Eden Prairie at the Starring Lake Outdoor Center. So I've been here for 30 years, and it's just a, it's a wonderful environmental education center, small, tiny, and but we have lots of kids. Well, we did until COVID hit. Right. <laughs> uh, lots of kids who'd come and uh, spend their summer camps. It's and then that is wonderful. I mean, the energy level when you've got 25 kids here who are all grooving on nature and doing some cool things right. and it's just it's so neat it really is and they want right. to be here yeah and then um so that's a big thing i do uh with it and uh gosh there's just so many other things like people can at my nature center or excuse me at my website they can uh, there's a listing of the photo tours i lead mm-hmm. so i do photo tours these are for uh amateur to semi-serious uh photographers mm-hmm. i mean if you show up and don't know how to use your camera, I'll show you how to use your camera. Mm-hmm. If you show up and you've got better equipment than I got, I'll take you right to whatever it is you want to photograph, that right. type of thing. So right. there's all, by the way, nobody's got better equipment than I do. <laughs> <laughs> so just, just FYI. There. Yeah, yeah. Just, no, just putting that out there. Yeah. No, I, I, that's part of being who I am. I, I got to be at the front of the pack. So whenever there's a brand new camera, whenever there's a new lens, whenever there's new equipment and things, I, I, I get it. I'm on it. I'm, I keep up with it. It'd be so easy to be a fuddy dud and, you know, and, you know, well, when I was a kid, you know, but I, I try to keep up with it. I'm very tech savvy, even though I'm way over the age of, you know, remember I wrote my first books on typewriters. That's how old right, I am, you right. know. And, uh, and I like the tech. I love the the, yeah. the stuff that comes with it. I think yeah. it's I think it's fabulous. And I try to, you know, when I was shooting film and digital was coming out, I ran to digital. I thought this is the best, <laughs> you yeah. know, because I hated film. Yeah. The film was so hard, and you know, you really, really had to know what you were doing. And uh, so I I thought digital was the best thing ever. Now we're going to be switching over to mirrorless cameras now. So mm. the DSLRs, these digital single lens reflex cameras, they're going to be gone. Right. Uh, give them three years, and they're going to be gone. And everybody's switching over to mirrorless, and I'll be switching to mirrorless too. And so I, I keep, I try to keep up right with these right. things because that's 
what it is. Right. You know, you got to try to keep on top of all this stuff and keep moving, keep Stay relevant. going forward. Stay relevant. Yeah. Because you know? it's easy to, you know, I mean, how many, ah, oh, these darn dumb phones. I hate them. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I got friends who are like that. It's like, really? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, a smartphone is the most amazing thing on the planet. Right. You know, I mean, you've got the world at your fingertips, literally. Correct. Everything Correct. and everything is right there. Yep. How could you not? Love it, right. <laughs> you know. Right. I mean, you're confused by something you've just seen in nature. Yeah, you can look it up. Exactly. You know. Yeah. So, to me, the the, the technology is a big part of, of right. nature, right. and that's a good thing too. Because all the stuff that I do, all the stuff, recordings, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, videos, you know, right. all that stuff is all high high tech stuff, and that's very important. Right. And it's it's how you communicate. Yep. Again, communication of. The cool things about nature is what really makes all the difference. Right. So. Right. Because if, if you can't hook the people and get them interested, you're, you're never... Forget about it. Yeah, yeah, you can't do it. It's like so, teaching you know, middle school. Yep, it's like teaching. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, but... Uh, Caffeine. That's what a naturalist is, by the way. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you're sitting at home and scratching your head and thinking, what is a naturalist? A naturalist really is a teacher. Yeah. A teacher about nature. Yep. It was really what it boils down to. You're, you're kind of a jack of all trades when it comes to all the different parts of nature. And, um, and um, I always like, I always, my standard joke I always tell people is that um, I ask them, you know, what is a naturalist? And everybody kind of gives you that blank stare, like, huh? And I always yeah. say, well, if you're, if you're envisioning somebody running through the woods naked, that's a naturist. Okay? Because right. I'm a naturalist. It's, you know, spelled differently. You know? And, Seeker uh, of visions. Yeah, exactly. So, but a naturalist is a teacher, just like you, and you, and you teach people, and you got to yeah. be able to get that way across to them somehow, right. some way. Right. The beauty of what you do is everything you're teaching is so incredibly interesting and amazing. Well, and it is right for me. here. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah. Well, that's just it. I always like to say to some of the people I work with, what we do is try to sell used cars to an openly hostile anti-driving market. There you go. You know? <laughs> and if you've sold a few at the end of the yeah, day, you've you're succeeded. You're, yeah, exactly. you've done a good job. Yeah, because exactly. we have a lot of fourth graders that show up here at the Nature Center, and, yeah. and, and it's like, whew, it's tough. Yeah. Third grade, believe it or not, they're still manageable. Right. They're not bad. Fourth right. grade, something switch flips, the and switch they are flips. like off the hook. It's like, forget yeah. about it. So. Stan, we can't thank you enough oh for your time. Oh. When we started a couple of years ago with our with our little podcast, you know, talking to Stan Tekello was only a dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you cracked me up when you said that, you know, you really want, you wanted me to have, or have me on, but you thought I was way too busy. And I'm sitting there thinking, really? <laughs> I'm just waiting for people to call me up and say, be on my podcast, you know? And I was like, hello, I'm here, yeah. you know? Well, be careful. Awesome. You're going to hear from us again real yeah. soon. I mean, yeah. we didn't even Excellent. touch plants yeah. and mushrooms. Oh, mushrooms. Hey, let's do something in the fall and do it about mushrooms. I have my second edition start mushrooming book is out. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about edible mushrooms. Oh, more, credit card in my more fun is talk about mushroom poisoning. Now, yeah. that's yeah. a topic. I'm told this is half the thrill for morel fanciers. Yes. But I, I used to date a young lady who, a friend of hers, was a morel hunter mm-hmm. and had his patches that, mm-hmm. of course, were going with him to the grave. Right. Because you don't tell uh, anybody where no. your morels are. Are you at. kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Morel mushrooms and cloudberries, apparently. There you go. Uh, and he. He had pounds of yeah. morels yeah. frozen in the freezer. Yeah. Of course, there's, there's a redundancy for you. Frozen in the freezer. Um, but he would take those out every now and again, and he'd, he'd frying pan, mm-hmm. a little garlic mm-hmm. butter, and, mm-hmm. and morels. Yeah. And at one point, he had us sit down to basically a pie plate, each mm-hmm. of just morels and, and sauteed you know, butter. And yeah. I said, John, I think I'm 
making this up maybe, but my my tongue and lips are starting to buzz. Uh-huh. He said, "Oh yeah, there's they're just mildly toxic. There is there's just this hint of they're edible, but there's a little something in there that'll let you know you really don't want to overdo it here." And and uh, <laughs> and pretty soon it was just <laughs> funny, you know. But wow, yeah, it was weird. And, maybe, yeah. and hopefully, yeah, maybe they weren't false morels. I hope. Yeah, and false morels are poisonous, right? So yeah, so I'm showing these guys a picture of some morels. I yeah. took my daughter out morel hunting this year. And that's what we came back with. But um, so I'm gonna uh, disagree. Okay. Uh, with that, it, uh, you should not have anything happening to you. Okay. Um, when you're eating morels, so should we really get into this? Because yeah. <laughs> so with it. morels, um, th- they're not a plant. Okay. So plants are in one group. Yeah. And plants are consist of mainly cellulose. Their cells are made of mainly of cellulose. Yeah. Cellulose we can break down in our bodies and you know, digestive systems, sure. and they work just fine. Fungi are made of chitin. Chitin is the same thing your hair and your fingernails, fingernails are made yeah, out of. Right? Yeah. And so it's very difficult to digest. And But there are no toxins in morels. Okay. Okay, so you can't um, get sick from them. Right. However, the false morel, uh, which is called the gyromitra, uh-huh. Uh, occurs at the same time of year. There's some significant differences between it, and to me, they look as different as a cat and a dog, but apparently to some people, they look the same. Sure. Um, And um, they have monomethylhydrazine in them. Sounds dangerous. Yeah, I was going to say, do you know what monomethylhydrazine? (laughs) Uh, Clearly, neither of you are rocket engineers. No, no. Because monomethylhydrazine is rocket fuel. Oh, wow. And 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 it can cause um, flushness, uh, rapid heart rate, and upset stomach, and things like that. Right. So, you shouldn't have any speech problems. Okay. The only thing I would think of that you'd have speech problems with is, so here we want to talk about plants, would be uh, the prickly ash. Okay. Do you know this plant, the prickly ash? Is it a relative of the... Small. It's not related to ashes at all. Okay. Not okay. even in the same family. It's in the citrus family. Really? So it's related to oranges and limes. Okay. It grows here in Minnesota. It's a small tree, yeah. large shrub, and it gets red berries on it. Uh-huh. And these red berries, when you pick them off and crush it and smell it, it's just like citrus. It's huh. like, oh my gosh, this is an orange or this is a, yeah. a, a lemon. Yeah. And if you take that, the juice from that berry, and rub it on a mucal membrane like your gums or your tongue or something like that, mm-hmm. it will go numb. Like, holy mackerel, go numb. Of course, I remember when I first learned about this back in the 70s. My, you had to try it. My brother and I were out, <laughs> and we were out with that famed naturalist, Kathy uh, yeah. Heidel, yeah. and she was telling us all about this, and we, we got to try this. I mean, because it's like... <laughs> I mean, how do you know, right? Unless you really experience right, it yourself. Right, right. Not that I would ever have done that with drugs. Completest. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> and so we take these things. My brother and I pop them in our mouth, and they, it's like it's just like explosion of uh, citrus yeah. in your mouth. And, of course, yeah. we wish it around, and we're like, yeah, you know, holy mackerel. And within two minutes, we're like, rush, rush, rush. <laughs> and then the lips are hanging down, and then we're drooling, and we can't talk. And it's just like, but your mouth is completely numb, and you, you have no control over it whatsoever oh. and so and then of course we learned that this was used as a toothache med- uh, remedy for you know native yeah. peoples yeah and it works incredibly yeah so uh, the only thing that i could say that you had problems with would be maybe he got some i don't know prickly ash berries prickly in, ash there in there or something there. like yeah. that but you shouldn't there shouldn't be anything at all the most you should get from it would be like an upset stomach because uh fungi are hard to digest Digest, right you were saying. it's a roughage yep yep 
Some people are allergic to strawberries, for example, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. they're allergic to peanuts or something like yep. that. Some people can be allergic to mushrooms, but it's very rare. It's not yeah. very common. Yeah. So you shouldn't have any reaction whatsoever to sure. eating uh, morels. Okay. My first clue that this guy is a little not there is he's freezing his uh, morels. Yeah. Freezing them, ugh. Hate it because when you thaw it out, what you got is this globby mess. It was a mush. It's a yeah, mush. It was like, terrible. This is a delicious garlic flavored. Yeah, mush. Mush. Yeah, and exactly. So the best you way. How hard to yeah, get this? Exactly. The best thing to do is to dry them. Okay. Drying them, they they retain their shape. You can rehydrate them, and they are they're. Don't they're, go mushy. They're really good and yeah. so on and so forth. But anyhow, that, we'll save that for our fall discussion yeah. on, awesome. on mushrooms. That is super cool. And that's, that's, that's kind of a must. I, I, that's, and there's a word for it. What is it? Mycophagist? Or a, a, uh, yeah, a, yeah a mycophagia. Mycophagia. Somebody who eats mushrooms. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, or hunts them. Yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. Interest, a passion. But I you, just, know, you know what they say about mushroom hunters? They said there's old mushroom hunters and there's yeah. bold mushroom hunters. Yeah. But there are no old, bold mushroom hunters. They've died along the way. They've died along the way. Yeah. And I, that's a topic. I'm, this, here's a tease for your fall show. Yeah. Then let's talk poisonous mushrooms. Yes. It is the most amazing thing ever. And you'll learn so much about it, and it's super cool. Joke's made in Ely, and I've got to ask and just a one-word answer. All you got to say is yes or no. Okay. Stinkhorn mushrooms and the jokes you can have at their <sighs> expense. Poisonous or not? Um... I, I wouldn't want to try. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the name Stink Horn. Oh, Let's just say campers who'd been there for years, uncles and nephews. That was the joke, was to go out in the woods and yeah. find stink horns yeah. and then stick them under the pillows. Oh. <laughs> so, And these things look like oh, a phallus. Man. Yes, and yes. They it was, just, it was and like, they stink and yep. they're sticky. And they're, oh, man. It's like... Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're better off on, well, a, on a snipe hunt. Can't wait till fall. No kidding. And thanks. You heard it here, folks. Stan insisted that That's we'll right. do a oh, yeah. fall show about it. mushrooms and poison. Mushrooms. It's so awesome. You'll love it. Cool. Well, thanks again. And uh, we'll get we'll get down to heaven and sign our books. Bjorn and I both bought books by Stan Tekela. We're going to have them signed now. So we'll uh, say adios and we'll uh, see you next time. Absolutely. All right, guys. See ya. Thanks. Just wanted to mention one more time that you can find out more about Stan Tequila at his website at naturesmart.com and find many of his books and his Birds of Minnesota CD at amazon.com. We'd also like to thank Stan and Adventure Publications for the use of his bird sound effects on this episode, and uh, we'll see you next time in Cabin Country. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.